It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Take Talk Podcast. I'm Stephen O'Rourke, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Brett Whitefield. And Brett, I hear you have a special update for... (laughs) <laughs> the fans of Take Talk and me as well. I'm coming in blind to this also, so I can't wait to hear. Yeah, so I I know we've teased the the uh, data tool that's going to be coming out, Steve. Yeah, you know this this thing we work so hard to to build. Yeah, well, guess what? I I got to beta test it this week. I don't even know if if the boss wants me talking about this on the podcast. Uh, you know the guru himself, but. I'm so excited that I can't keep my mouth shut. So I was here we say, go. That's too exciting <laughs> to not talk about. I know. Uh, I beta. I got to be, actually. I'm still beta testing it, but I've, I've been beta testing it all week, um, trying to to break it. I would say we're at an internal beta test stage. But all I gotta say to the to the listeners and to the fans of what we're doing and the guys have been excited. We've been getting a Steve. We've been getting a lot of emails of people asking, "When's this thing going live?" One like you've been teasing it long enough. One may you know? use the word inundated with emails. Yes, inundated, yes, inundated with emails. But this thing, dude, is freaking marvelous. I, I don't even, like, if if it were up to me, being the, the non-savvy person I can be sometimes, I would just release it as is. But, you know, we have to we have to go through technical procedures. And of course, of you course. Gotta do it. We'll probably do a, a focus group beta after the internal beta. So long story short, this thing will be out end of spring, early summer-ish, um, probably uh, like sometime pretty close to after the draft, this thing's going to come out. But dude, it is amazing what it does. Like it, it, all the different filters you can customize what you're doing. See, so actually, here's a really cool, I'm, I'm tipping a little bit of our hand right here, but here's a really cool feature. Yeah. I just thought it's it's something that is kind of, minimal in a way but it's so cool but every data table or tool inside of this master tool yep is is completely customizable to the user so like we have our preset columns that like so we have like an advanced passing tool right that has like it displays i don't know 50 different data points for on a team level a player level a week level whatever you can so even though we're, we've preset those 50 data points, say you're a guy who only like, uh, I'm just a fantasy guy. I'm not really interested in some of these other player performance metrics. So I just want to stick with the fantasy driven stuff. Right. You can actually deselect columns and they can, you can make them disappear in that tool and <clears throat> you can rearrange the columns in the order that you want. See, that's each, so nice. It's going to be so cool. I've never seen a tool that does this. Each, each user will have a, a certain level of custom, customizability is that the right word customization yeah. customization yeah, yeah i just over here george w bush and it make it up words <laughs> this is <laughs> but anyways this tool is so freaking cool i've gotten lost just using it and i already know all the data because we have the prototype sheets right built, you know? and like that's so, i mean just for everybody you know like where we pull all our stats from and everything we have access to all this data and we like have it in our own little google sheets prototype and even looking through that with like you know it's so it's so raw with what we're what we work with at that level but like even that like when people see me 
looking at it, using it, whatever, like they're fascinated by it. And I'm like, though, this is like, I'm like, this is not even remotely close yep. to what it's going to be. And like you said, like that small, just a little bit of customization. I mean, that's like half my problem when looking at like pro football reference and some of the, like some of those other like database sites. I've never seen like, a tool that customizes like, like this. having to is like, oh, God, the column, yeah. the column I need is all the way over here. Oh, yep. Crap. I lost which spot my player was in. And like, you know, like things like that, like just it's yeah. I mean. Yeah, one thing that's cool too that the uh, the developers confirmed to me, and again, I'm probably saying way too much, Steve, but I'm excited. Um, these customize these customizations that you make to the table view. Yep. So you'll basically be able to download a CSV off of our tables. Where nice, you know. But what's cool is though when you customize it to be how you want, the CSV that you download will also follow those those guidelines. So that's you're not huge. gonna. You're not gonna have to spend a bunch of time like deleting columns out or whatever whatever you typically do. Right. I don't know how you I don't know how the data nerds do things, but you can kind of you clean know. your data before you have to start cleaning your data, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. you get a you, you, you get a pre-clean. Yep. So uh that's really cool. The the other cool thing I mentioned the filters, man, like any anything you can imagine you'd want to filter, you can. Like you can be looking at advanced passing data. And you can filter for just cover one. You can filter for just cover two. Or you could just put a, a simple man filter on. Yeah. Like, hey, I, I want to see just in all man or, or against zone or against uh, zone match. Like there's – it's some pretty cool filterability. I want to see all these stats when the quarterback's under pressure or when he's blitzed yep. or on third down or on play action or what – like you can just slap these filters on really quickly. Um, the functionality is really, really good. Our, our dev team is doing a tremendous job and I cannot wait for this thing to come out. I'm so excited. So anyways, that's a, a little update and a little peek behind the curtain to what is coming. This thing is going to be massive, Steve. I can't wait. It's going to be huge. Yeah. I have a feel it's going to get, I have a, it's going to get really good reviews. I feel really strongly about it. I mean, obviously we're very yeah. close to it, but still it's you know, yes. like there's a reason it's taken the length of time it is. And it's because we've wanted to put out like the best quality product. Oh, yeah. We could have easily Dude. launched a half ass product six months ago. Right. But our, our dev team has pretty much said just no, like I'm going to build this the right way and it's going to blow everyone's mind. And we, we've we stuck with that. And like we set out to to do this the right way and, and, and get it right. And that's exactly what uh, Brock and his team is going to deliver to us. And, I'm and, very for someone, and for someone who's not necessarily always easily impressed, to get the big resounding thumbs up from you is a good first yes. step, I would say. Yes. I was Chris. So Chris is on vacation right now. And I, I promised him I wouldn't talk to him while he was gone. And uh, but I was so giddy when we had this uh, when I did my initial beta, uh, you know, look around. I actually took a video of myself playing with the tool and sent it to him because I was awesome. like, I can't, that's I can't awesome. hold back, man. So, uh, yes, I was like a kid in a candy store. So oh, that's so. Awesome. I actually, I actually asked the dev team each for their address so I could send them flowers because it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> so that's that's how excited i was now they didn't follow through with the address but had they have they would have gotten flowers they would have gotten flowers they would have gotten flowers so all right 
cool little peek behind the curtain, but we probably should talk a little bit about a Super Bowl, and then I know we're going to get into Mock Draft 1.0. Yes. Um, but Steve, the Super Bowl, I we haven't actually talked about it. Like We were texting a little bit that night, Yeah. but you and I haven't actually really talked about it. I, I have no idea your thoughts. I There's been a lot of opinions thrown out all week on Twitter. Yeah. It's actually getting yeah. obnoxious at this point. I mean, we're starting, yeah. to, we're starting to dip into the post-game player drama where A.J. Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster are going after each other and people are playing yeah. on as well. It's all – it's reached the full cycle to where – Yeah. I actually want to talk about that. On that note, like before we get to the Super Bowl, I thought Juju's tweet was hilarious. Yeah. Um, even as a guy who wanted the Eagles to win that game, I thought it was hilarious, but I thought AJ Brown's comeback was also freaking awesome. Like, bro, yeah. you, you, your career was over. You just got resurrected by the King. Like, <laughs> I mean, he just, yeah, he just they, bodied him right back. That was they funny. Threw a couple, they threw a couple haymakers. I thought it was, it was good. I mean, it's, it was a tightly contested game and I like arguably both players have room to talk shit. Like yeah. that was a flip of the coin game. And you know, we could all argue, the whole holding thing, you know, refs taking control of the game there, whatever. But like it was overall just start to finish. It was a really good game. And that like, that was my biggest takeaway was like, I didn't have like a huge horse in the race here. I was not like yeah. in big money. On I mean, pretty much the same. Yeah. I was just enjoying it. Cause it was what felt like in what had shown to be the two best teams all year playing against each other. And it worked out that way. It, you know, it's Andy Reid. The whole time I was watching the game, the the like analogy simile that kept coming to my mind is that I kept thinking of the line from Jurassic Park where, <laughs> where the, they're talking by the Velociraptor pit, and he's like, "What is he doing?" She's like, "He's like, oh, she's she's testing for weaknesses. She's learning." And that's all I could think about when Andy Reid is that like. Oh, let's see, he's testing that motion. He's learning. He's figuring. He's he's figuring it out. And like that was what felt like the tale of the second half was Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes starting to kind of figure out that Philly defense and trying to trying to find those in, find and exploit those weaknesses that they had that they had seen on film throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Reid is obviously he's a master at that. You know, we knew adjustments would come in the second half. Did you hear this crazy stat about the – so the Chiefs – I might get the numbers a little bit wrong, but I know the general theme in ratio. Yeah. So the in the second half, the Chiefs had a potential to gain 290 yards total. Okay. Do you know how many yards they gained? 290 – or 88? 280. Oh, that's right, because I guess he – he dropped back a couple times on the on the kneel downs toward the end, too. and and McKinnon took the knee or whatever. Right, right. Between those two plays, though, they literally could have got the two ninety, but they didn't because the last drive. Right. How right. insane is that, though? They like they literally like the Eagles didn't stop them for a single yard. Basically, they didn't. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, uh, and Mahomes, like he played great. Uh, like I think he was outplayed by Hertz. Yes. But yes. Mahomes didn't make a single mistake all game and the one mistake Hurts made cost them the game basically and, yeah. and when you do the math, you know. Obviously yeah. you, you can't like the course of the game changes so you don't really know how it ends up playing out, but 
more than likely that was the play that cost the Eagles the game. Right. <laughs> Not the hold, by the way. Um, <laughs> Which did you see? I want to ask you, did you see they, um, you know how they do the NFL films, like retelling usually on Wednesdays yeah. or whatever. They actually showed a different angle from the end zone. And it was one of those where you saw the Jersey pull. Like it's one of those where you're like, yeah, ah, you hate to see it, but yeah, the Jersey extended and 99% of the time a ref's going to throw the flag. Whatever. That's all I want. Yeah, I, I did think if I was refereeing that game, I wouldn't have called that penalty in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, or the fourth quarter. It just was too – it wasn't enough for me. However, yeah. I do – like, I guess by definition, it's definitely a penalty. Bradbury admitted it was a penalty. So, that it doesn't even matter, though. I know the refs kind of took the end game into their own hands with that call. But listen, if, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you should try stopping the other team's offense. And you didn't stop them for – like, you didn't hold them back from one single yard. Yeah. They basically achieved 290 out of 290 yards once you take into account the McKinnon kneel down or the McKinnon yeah, kneel down and then two Mahomes kneel downs. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just the facts. So like Yeah. You know, and uh, the Eagles have done a tremendous job not blaming the refs and taking the the high road with their loss. Like, listen, that was on us. Yeah. We should have made more plays. Don't ever yeah. put the game in the refs hands ever. Um, so I, I love that mentality, but enough can't be said about these quarterbacks, man. Like hurts throw for throw. This was probably the best Super Bowl game I have ever seen. That was a, a masterclass from both, from both sides. Like you said, mm-hmm. there were almost like really not many. If like there were maybe two or three, like bad throws total across the entire yeah. game. And that's, yeah, it was crazy. Like, it's like Hertz was was fitting balls into windows that like we had seen once or twice, like once a game, every once in a while. He was doing that like four or five times this game. I think we we charted him for six wild throws. Yeah, like that. Which, like, is, which is nuts. I, I mean, mean, that's a lot for any game, let alone a Super Bowl. And I just he was doing it with his legs when he needed to. Yep. He was making smart decisions, throwing the ball away. I mean, I these were two of the like from both both sides, both Hurts and Mahomes. Like the Chiefs and the Phil, the Philadelphia Eagles were leading the league, top both top three in pressure rate for the season. Like yeah. they, and the Chiefs, you know, we all talk about how they turn on the pressure when it comes to the playoffs. Like playoff Frank Clark, he always seems to step up. It still didn't matter. You know, they both got pressured, but they maneuvered the pocket really well. It was just it. That was so much fun to watch from just like appreciating quarterback play. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think technically there was any real sacks in the game. I know did the Chiefs, the Chiefs get credited for two total. Was but it? they were both they were both plays where Hurts like runs out of bounds right at the sticks. He yeah. kind of just gives himself up. Yeah, it was one like, of those where he, it's like if he, he could have definitely if he extends yes. the football, it's not a sack. They weren't real sacks. These weren't minus right. seven, minus eight yard sacks right. or whatever. Right. It was um, him he was never really in threat. Yep. Um But yeah, I mean, so Mahomes like obviously his five year resume is is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. The the impressive part about this game is it was almost like we've been foreshadowing this all season in a way, Steve. Like we've been talking about Mahomes' development, how the way defenses are gonna are gonna play him now, he has to just be willing to take what's there. Yeah. And this was a masterclass in that. Like he wasn't he didn't really have to do anything too special. I mean, he had a couple scrambles and clutch moments, but for the most part, he was just taking what the defense has given him and he wasn't missing, wasn't making a mistake, making the perfect read. 
over and over and over, especially in the second half. Yeah. Which um, it's, it, it's funny because it feels like I've seen, we've seen this in like crucial moments in Mahomes' career, like five or six times is defense turning to man coverage or a man type coverage on a third and third and six, third and seven and Mahomes navigating the pocket and escaping for a long run to get a first down. Like I've, I feel like it's not, it's talked about briefly, but we don't always talk about Mahomes rushing ability just because we get lost in his arm talent, but he's so adept at like making those clutch runs and knowing when to escape the pocket and making like, just making a good play in those moments. It's pretty impressive. And like something that jumped like that 20, the 25 yard run to kind of like to put him into what was field goal range. And then, yeah. you know, obviously the ensuing, you know, once they get toward the end zone to, to close out the game, it's just, it's crazy that he came in. Mahomes came in so elite and he's still taking steps forward in his game with like each passing season. And like, even in the Super Bowl, like I felt like he took him taking only like the throws that were there and really not forcing anything. That was a step in the right direction because yeah. usually, you know, like this season, there was the one or two throws a game where it's like, eh, you know, he got away with one there. Like that was a clear interception. Don't know what he was thinking there. And but yep. he didn't do that in this game. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, he he's the best, obviously. And now, like we said, leading up to the Super Bowl, if if he pulled this off, it, it was he's officially in Chase Brady mode. You know, yeah, he, he might not ever get to six or whatever. Playing what a Brady playing nine, he might not ever do that. But like, he can still be the best of all time, just based on other things. I mean, I mean, <laughs> if he keeps making it to conference championships, yeah, it's like yes. like you said, similar to Brady, you're gonna break through. Like, yeah. The, the, with the GM they with the GM they have in place in Kansas City and the infrastructure they have in in, in Kansas City, like it's one of those where hey, just keep surrounding Mahomes with decent talent, field a defense that can at least cause a nuisance because like the Chiefs are never at the top of the league, but they're I feel like they're always great at creating creating havoc, and that's where yep. Mahomes thrives in is in is in havoc games that are havoc. I mean. After this game, it's he's fourteen and ten when trailing going into halftime. Wow, that's absurd. Like I, yeah. I'm pretty sure every other quarterback in NFL history is like under like less than fifty percent winning percentage. Right when trailing at halftime, and Mahomes is fourteen and ten. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, this was also like the hardest carry we've seen in a while, probably since that. Uh, the Dion Branch Brady team, honestly. Yeah. Um, but we're just like the quarterback just carries an offense. I mean, yeah. it's, and like, he did not. I mean, he has Kelsey, obviously. Kelsey's great. He's not in his prime anymore, though. And he, his receiving, like, I mean, he has nothing. He had nothing to work with this year. He had a undrafted rookie running back. I mean, like, guys, like, this was one of the craziest carries. Like hard carries yeah. we've seen, and and yeah. that just shows you that like they're probably going to be in the conversation every single year, just like the Patriots were for twenty years. You know, yeah. I mean, um, like going into the, this was a it was a receiving group that on any other team in the NFL, we're talking like we're talking about how 
destitute their situation is at receiver. Yep. But because it's Mahomes, you can talk yourself into it and he can make it happen. And that's exactly what he did. He just needs he just needs guys that know how to run the offense and work in space. And that's that's why he does and then give him the opportunity to find you open, and that's what he does best. Yeah. Before we move on, real quick, just let's do a quick snapshot of like what these two teams are looking at off season wise. Um, I, I did some time this week kind of looking over their situations. Yeah. And they're both in really interesting situations. The, so the Eagles have the benefit of playing in the NFC. So it's like, yes, they don't need to be super hell bent on retaining the exact same roster because they do play in the NFC and Hertz is a, a young developing asset. They have, you know, Devonta Smith and AJ Brown long-term yep. Goddard long-term. Yep. I don't think the offensive line is just going to fall apart overnight, but they do have very limited cap space. They're currently over the cap going into 2023. So they're going to have to make some adjustments there. Yeah. They do have a lot of expiring vet contracts. Uh, James Bradbury being a really notable one. Yep. So for the Eagles, like the, the maintenance comes now with like, they have to get really savvy with the cap. Yeah. And Rose, Howie Roseman's been kind of planning for this moment. This like the Super Bowl run for a couple of years now. He's been, if you go look through all their contracts on their team, they're doing like, three and four voided years on them just piling on dead money to try to free up cap space um and it, it's kind of they're kind of it's catching up with them this offseason you know we saw the saints use for a while uh, but it's it's really catching up with the eagles this offseason so i think they have some really interesting choices to make they do have two first round picks yep which will help you know i i think ideally they probably let bradbury walk and then grab a corner at some point right that's in the first or second round and try to try to get cheaper and younger there but they do have some interesting choices to make so it'll be interesting to see what they do yeah and that's alongside obviously losing both their coordinators who you know there's a level of you know figuring out who's replacing the who's replacing both of those guys as well um, yeah, I don't know that Gannon's much of a loss to be yeah, honest. Yeah, Gannon, <laughs> I, I, it's funny because, again, I walked away from the game feeling of Gannon and just like watching the game and their secondary. I felt like that was it, it, like the story of their defense in the Super Bowl was kind of just like an all encompassing view of their defense over the course of the second half of the season. They were kind of like they were great at creating pressure, but compared to the first half of the season that their defense gave up a lot more yards toward the end of the year. They were stout yeah. at the beginning. I mean, unbelievable at the beginning, but the secondary kind of softened a little bit toward the second half of the season. And the run, the run defense was always an issue throughout the entire year. It was just, we never really got a hold of it because, you know, they were taking leads and it just like, They've made me feel like Gannon was like Patricia at the end where I'm like, this is funny. He's going to get put out as like the coaching candidate, but it kind of feels like a straw man a little bit. Yeah. Well, and Gannon was basically handed the keys to a Ferrari. Right. And didn't get Ferrari level production when it mattered. Right. You know, Um, now listen, like, Everyone could pretend like they know whether Gannon's going to be a good head coach or not. I mean, I made a joke on Twitter about him being the next Pat Patricia, mostly a joke. The reality is, is like when you're hiring a head coach, you're not, you're, it's more about leadership skills right. and being a leader. man. So if Gannon sold them on that, 
and that's who he is that's his character and that's that's what he's gonna be then he might be fine like he he won't yeah. be maybe he gets a great defensive coordinator and you know i mean it, that's yeah. really we really don't know um yeah. i think it was a little bit of a desperation move for the cardinals because it seems like they had some trouble getting high quality head coaching candidates in there yeah so um yeah and then they lost steichen too uh, I think that is a blow for sure. You don't, especially when you have a young developing quarterback, you don't necessarily want to change it up on him. I mean, yeah. shoot, we saw Josh Allen struggle a little at times this year because of that himself. Um, you know, the, the one good thing they got going on is Brian Johnson is a ascending talent in the league. Yeah. Everyone's been really high on him. The, the QB coach and Hertz has known him his whole life. Actually, Brian Johnson played for Hertz's dad growing up. So like there's a awesome. there's a family connection there. So I think yeah. the continuity that you'll see in in Philadelphia next year, and well, in Sirianni obviously being an offensive guy as well, right? Like you'll you'll see more offensive co- continuity there next year than you saw with Buffalo this year yes. compared to last year. So yeah, um, yeah, I, some things to be worried about, but ultimately I think the Eagles should remain on the top of the NFC. Like you said, their offensive structure is in place, and it, like a lot of their offensive talent is in place. It's really about filling in the gaps of those, you know, vet those vets that were providing solid playing yeah. time, and some of the like, like you said, the guy opposite Darius Slay, you know, replacing Bradbury most likely. It's you know, it's small pieces that come with rebuilding. Yeah, a, a, a team that makes a Super Bowl. This is. They're in a similar situation to where a lot of teams that get to this point, because this is usually the a lot of the yep. plays that you make to get to that point. On the flip side, the Chiefs are looking at like they have limited cap space. I mean, I know they're they currently rank in the top ten of cap space available, but I know they have some contract decisions to make that could quickly eat up that cap space. Yeah, um, one of them being Orlando Brown, the, the offensive tackle. Yep, they, if they retain him, he's going to eat into a good bit of that. And then secondly, they do have a lot of picks. So I think they're in a great spot to kind of reload and keep this thing moving full force. They just got to be savvy with how they use their cap space. Yeah. Yep. So, and then obviously, and, uh, obviously drafting well. Yes. Which, drafting well. Which, you know, if they can just avoid taking a CEH at the end of the first. I feel right. everyone's already doing it again. I've seen Bijan getting mocked there. I've seen. Although I stopped reading mocks because <laughs> more like when I, I'm doing all the draft content myself now for, for fantasy points or not, I should say all of it, but I'm doing a lot of it. Yeah. You kind of like want to tune out the uh, outside noise, you know, you, you want to maintain your own opinions as your own opinions and not let yes. the outside noise filter into your thoughts, yes. which I think is a great segue into Brett. You <laughs> released good. your mock draft 1.0 this week. I did. I did the first of three. Um, you know, it's a unique approach because I don't do the predict like I don't do predictive mocks. Right. I might do one just for fun, you know, as yeah. like maybe four like right before the right before the draft or something. Once I because I, I do get some some decent intel, but um, no, my mock drafts are like, hey, if I was in charge of every franchise, this is what I would do it, as the board falls. Right, which I think makes it more interesting because then it's. You know, you can actually make an argument for the team. It's not, it's less the predictive of like, ah, we've seen you're, you're putting more thought into the team building aspect than some people that do the predictive. The predictive is generally just kind of going alongside, you know, just needs trying to match needs or, 
you know, a team that's good yeah. enough that they can take best player available and just move maneuvering from there rather than actually fully taking into effect team needs, who they're losing, who they're getting, and like doing it from the standpoint of a GM from yourself as the GM instead of the GM in place. Cause Brett, I'd put you in place of some of the GMs in the NFL. (laughs) So the first big thing (laughs) that I was looking through your draft that I want to, you know, we're just, I'm just going to kind of take the time, pick your brain a little bit. I think give the listeners some insight into your thought process in the mock draft, kind of where your, where you had players land and, you know, just see what you're thinking. First thing that jumped off was the four quarterbacks in the top 10. Yes. Four quarterbacks. What was it? Two, three trades in the top 10. But the quarterbacks to start, you had Bryce Young first, in the, which I think seems to be the consensus going right now. Bryce Young. He's definitely the safest guy. Like, yeah. and do I, mean, I have concerns about his size? Absolutely. But Indianapolis is a really nice fit to kind of mitigate some of that. Yeah. And I think that as people are watching the film, he's showing that, you know, his ability to read the middle of the field is very, is very good. He's, oh yeah. You know, he is small as his frame is. He knows how to operate using it. He doesn't take a ton of big hits. He's smart with smart with his game. I think that when push comes to shove, I like there, it doesn't seem like there's going to potentially be a lot of movement, you know, unless something catastrophic happens for him. Yep. But for the Texans at number two, you <laughs> swung for the fences for the Texans and went Will Levis. I did. I did. This was a little bit of a blend of like how I think. Like, so so I, I knew the te- like if I'm the Texas GM, I'm going quarterback. Yeah. The reason I went Levis, who is my QB four, by the way, in this draft class over the guys that I have higher on my board is I just think he's a good fit for Houston. Um. I think they're – yeah, I don't – like, Levis seems like a D'Amico Ryans kind of guy to me. You know, he right. puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Like, he – I forgot <laughs> about that, damn it. Yeah. So, I like, culture fit for – like, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard D'Amico Ryans talk, but he's one of these rah-rah type of guys. Yeah. He's, sim- he's similar to – he's not going to give you the sound bites Dan Campbell gives you, but he's an intense – leader of men yeah. type and i think levis has that in him as well where he's like he's kind of goofy he's wild he likes to likes to pump up the crowd likes to pump up the team yep um i just feel like when they do their meetings levis is going to stick out to them as like hey we're rebuilding this thing from scratch we have time to grow with you because it might not be pretty right away with you because like let's be honest levis is not a very developed guy right now no um, if you're he, going for a levis guy you're you're swinging for the development of his, yes. what his ceiling can be. Yes. Um, so I, I just think that like culture fit wise, this is probably better than uh, I think Levis is better in a D'Amico Ryan's team than, than say Stroud or, or Richardson. So that's why I went Levis here. It's It's funny. You're right. I, Levis has the linebacker mentality. That yes. That's a great, that's a great way of it's saying that, it. He does that middle linebacker, like Ray Lewis esque hype up, you know, like that mentality. And Will Levis yeah. is like in that mold. If he was not a quarterback, if he played defense, he would be a, a middle linebacker. Oh yeah, for sure. He's built like it too. 
You then went. Yeah, some of the, some of the feedback I got on this pick too, or they're like. My my closing statement is like, are you sure this guy's a second overall pick? Because <laughs> I wrote, now the onus will be on the Texans' new staff under D'Amico Ryans to get more out of Levis than Kentucky did. Yeah. It's not something you typically write about a guy getting drafted second overall. But that's the truth. Like, Kentucky did not maximize Levis. No. And it's going to be on the Texans to get more out of him. Like, they really have to continue developing him. And he's not a finished product, so... But like you said, Texans are full on rebuild, so they have the time to kind of yep. dive into it. Next quarterback you went to was uh, C.J. Stroud to the Panthers, which I think I like Panthers again, another team that everybody's calling for. In your mock, you had him trade up for the Bear, trade up with the Bears at number four. Yeah, which so that, I that's them trading back twice in the first round yeah which, which yeah. like that's a dream kid that's dream scenario for chicago as a detroit fan it pained me you yeah. know but uh but this is this is what i would do if i was chicago and we'll get to them in a minute but um i again i have richardson higher on my board than stroud but i just feel like reich really values the the developed downfield passing ability that Stroud brings to the table. Yeah. So I just thought it was a better fit for what Frank Reich is going to want to do with right. that offense. Right. Um, that's all it was. Like the Panthers are a little bit more ready to win now too, where Richardson, like Levis is going to be more of a de- developmental guy. Yeah. I think the Panthers are more like they've got established talent on offense. Yeah. They've got, um, you know, DJ Moore and, and uh, Terrace Marshall and, um, LaVisca Chenault and uh, a, a good tight end room and Ian Thomas and, and Tommy Tremble and their offensive lines taking a step forward. And they're so young. Like they're, yeah, and they're young. They're young. And their defense is pretty pretty good too. They've got some some wins there. So yeah, um, I just felt like Stroud was better for them right now. And I think Reich will prefer Stroud's pocket passing ability. Right, and that's exactly like if you look at Stroud compared to some of the guys that Reich had – brought in to Indianapolis you can see you can see the fit there Stroud has the big arm yep. the plus mobility but he's not necessary he's not a run first not looking to use his legs yep. first in any way shape or form but it's there if he needs him and I think that's like that's right in Reich's wheelhouse is a guy like that is decent mobility to move the pocket and things but overall like I want you to stand in and I want you to hit hit the throws from the pocket yep Seattle gets a dream. Jalen Carter dropping to them. Lions. Yeah, a couple couple people asked me about Seattle. They're, they're like, how come no Richardson to to Seattle? And I just thought Seattle is in a spot where they're going to probably re-sign Geno to big money. Yeah. I think the one quarterback they'd probably consider is Stroud because I think him and Geno have a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for a continuity move. Stroud might be the guy. They miss him by a pick, but and they're perfectly fine standing pat and grabbing Jalen Carter at five. It's like a unbelievable scenario for them. So. Yeah, I mean that's arguably the number one, number one, number two player overall yeah. in the non-QB, draft. Yep. Yeah, non QB. Um, which you're right. I think Seattle staying away from quarterback makes sense. Obviously, that's crazy to think, given like if we had said this at the beginning of the year. But, hey, they were a playoff team, and you have a quarterback who performed well and was making huge throws, continuity on offense. In that middle of the defensive line, they have 
some guys in there, but like Puna Ford, they don't have any really like plus guys. Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter comes in and makes a difference right away in both pass pass rush, which Seattle struggled with at times and run defense. So I think that like, that's a dream scenario for, for Seattle who, you know, they've started to build that back end with like the, you know, the young guys in the um, secondary, if they can get that, that front end bolstered up and get some pass rush, they're right back looking at a defense that, you know, can contend for them again, which is what Pete Carroll wants. Then you went, yeah, Lions, Witherspoon. We'll go to the, we'll go to the, down to the Falcons. Falcons go Richardson, which I think is a surprise to some. I feel like the Atlanta Falcons are in an interesting spot. I know that Lamar Jackson is getting rumored to them. They had they drafted Desmond Ritter last year. Why do you, why do you think they go why do you think they go Richardson over, you know, potential other options? Um Yeah, I, I mean I again, this is me calling the shots as the right. GM. I I want a quarterback to build with and I don't I don't see that in Ritter. I don't see that in Mariota. I think what I said about Richardson is he's the superhero version of those two guys. Yes, you did. Which I think is true. Um, he's got so much raw ability. He's he's got legit arm talent. Obviously, the legs are phenomenal. You, he's a guy who's. I mean, he's ahead of where Jalen Hurts was when Hurts was drafted, and and we're, we're seeing that he's ahead of probably where Josh Allen was when Josh Allen was drafted, as far as uh, technique and fundamentals go. I, I really think this is a top 10 player. He's my number two quarterback on my board. I, I think he's safer than those two guys I just mentioned, Allen and Hertz, and we've seen how that's panned out. I know those guys are more exceptions than the actual rule, but given that the starting point for Richardson is already higher, he does a lot of subtle things really, really well. Yeah. Um, quarterback type things. Like his pocket awareness and pocket presence is outstanding for a guy who is kind of a, an elite level runner. Um, typically elite level runners, the reason they're so good at running is because they do it often and early and yeah. they, they bail from clean pockets. Richardson doesn't do that. Richardson actually prefers the pass first and he's got phenomenal footwork in the pocket. He manipulates his bo- blockers really well to, you know, to find creases to step up into or slide um, really disciplined with that stuff. That And those are the things that are really hard to teach at this stage of the game for quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, the only really thing he needs to work on is maybe getting through his progressions a little faster and throw for throw consistency. Now, again, I think he's more consistent throw for throw than, than Josh Allen was. Um, so I, like I said, the starting point is higher for him. Um, but man, there's a lot to work with here. And we saw what Arthur Smith was kind of trying to do with these mobile guys and kind of scheme up some more of that QB run game. Yeah. And then when they're under center, he's, you know, have those heavy boots and stuff. Richardson's yeah. going to be awesome in that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I love the fit here. Um, again, I don't know that the Falcons will actually look at a quarterback or if Richardson will be the guy they like, but if I were them, that's the guy I would like. Yeah. Kind of a dream scenario with the way it played out. They don't have to, they don't have to trade up for their guy and they're still getting, you know, who I would love for them to draft. So. Yeah. And Atlanta is another team that, you know, sure. They played in the NFC South. They did. Okay. But when you look at their roster, it's not a roster that's, you know, overflowing with talent. They have a yeah. couple of young guys in there, but overall this is a team that 
probably is more rebuild than anything else. If you were to yep. classify them, I wouldn't put them in like the retool category. They're probably back in the rebuild. And like, like you said, starting Definitely off with rebuild. starting off with a quarterback, like Richardson with the upside that he has in an off, like in an offense with like Arthur Smith runs, it could be with, it could be awesome. And he has two ball winners to throw to in that offense, yep. Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Yeah. And they'll, they'll need to add another guy to that room as well. But the, the interesting thing about the Falcons too, Steve, is like they're like this is year three for Arthur Smith, and you hate to be saying they're in complete rebuild mode in year three. Yeah. So I think the pressure is going to start to mount. I don't see a scenario where he's comfortable rolling into the season with Desmond Ritter as his quarterback. And, the, and tr- drafting Richardson doesn't mean you're giving up on Ritter either. Right. It's more or less you're taking two darts and throwing them at the board. Right. Like because you got to hit on a quarterback and you got to hit on one pretty pretty soon because this is year three. Right. For Arthur Smith coming up, so. Yeah. And then number nine, the Chicago Bears finally make an appearance with an yes. actual pick. At this yes. point, at this point, they've traded from one to four, or you would have them trading from one to four. Yep. And they've amassed two second rounds, a 2024 first, a 2024 third. They get um, – and then a 2024 second. So in this – in your scenario, you being the GM, they trade back twice. They amass the picks – that I think everybody is hoping. I think like this is what Chicago Bears fans want. This is what everybody yeah. wants for the Bears. It also creates more fun for the draft with trades. But they go, they trade back from four, and then from four to or from one to four, and then four to nine. Nine they go offensive tackle Skaronsky from Northwestern. Yes, Skaronsky is a beast, and he's a hometown guy playing at Northwestern. Yeah. Um, Skronsky is there isn't really anything he does wrong uh, I, I had Paris Johnson going earlier but I think I like Skronsky better as a player I think he's a safer player I think Paris Johnson probably has more a higher ceiling as a tackle but Skronsky's got a higher floor like technique wise he's savvy he's strong he's long enough he can play guard if you if you absolutely need him to yeah um you know, and I like anytime you can get a guy on your team that's like a, a a close to a blue chip player that's position versatile at your weakest spot on the team. Like it's just a win. Like he's going to allow them to get their five best offensive linemen on the field next year because you can play him where you need to. Um, I love that. I love that for them. This draft should be all about well, two things, two focuses of this draft for the Bears. One, they have the worst roster in the NFL. Yes. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> so they need to turn that roster over quickly. The best way to do that is start adding picks. Yep. And they have time. They have time. So start adding picks. The second focus should be supporting Justin Fields. Yes. And well, if they're not going to if they're not going to stand pat at one and pick Bryce Young, what they need to do is start supporting Justin Fields. Yes. And there's an argument to be made that they should do that, but I don't want to get into that right now. <laughs> so here they trade back twice. They get the offensive tackle to support Justin Fields. They uh, he was pressured more than any other quarterback in the NFL last year, forty-one point five percent of his drops, yeah. which it, is absurd. And a lot, a lot of that was his fault because he holds the ball for freaking ever. Yes, but you can't deny watching the tape that that offensive line is is below piss poor. So, yeah, um, this is a huge piece for them, and I, I'm a big fan of his game. 
uh, I didn't even realize actually he was the ho- a hometown dude until Joe Dolan pointed that out to me when he was editing the yeah, article. That's, that's so, sweet. That's a good, and that's yeah. you know, it's always fun when you can get a a pillar on your team that's like that culture comes from home, easy to root yeah. for. And I think you made an I think you made an important point with the Chicago Bears in, in when you were describing the Skaronski pick is that he has a high floor, which means that you can plug and play him next year. Day one and starter, yeah. I think that that's, that's an important part of this Chicago Bears rebuild is obviously you like you're looking to get you know guys that have high ceilings, but I think a big an important thing for them is getting guys that have high floors that can step in and play tomorrow. It, because like you said, they're a team that is just, it's bad. It, they don't have a lot of talent. They have a lot of mid tier veterans running around and then they have like a little bit of young talent, but overall it's just, it's every position can be upgraded. And I think that that's important is getting young guys that you can plug in, play and get experience to start, you know, develop, developing them quicker. You, like the bears don't, don't need guys to like, stash and develop they need guys that can right. step in play tomorrow or start getting experience and can elevate the floor of your team in that sense as opposed to some other teams that you know some other that have strengths and positions or maybe you can look to develop a guy behind the bears need guys that can play tomorrow yep agreed the next, All right, what's the, what's the next thing that stood out to you next thing that stood out to me was how the wide receivers fell for you i think that we're seeing Ooh, a lot yeah. of we're seeing a lot of movement with receivers, but I think from what the consensus seemed to be at as the college football season finished was that Quentin Johnson was at the top of wide receivers. You had him going at the end of the first round, and you had just your receivers shaken up a little bit. And I, like I said, I think I've heard you talk about it, and you're really the first person that I've seen be vocal about it in that sense i think you're starting to see some other guys come along in that but yeah i'd like to i think that you were one of the first and wide receiver is one of your specialties so what what made you shake up the wide receiver rankings why move quentin johnson down and why bring i mean shoot you have jordan addison going like you you have the texans take him at 12 yeah yeah, so I mean, we're going to support Will Levis and, and pick a wide receiver at twelve because our wide receiver room is just okay. We have Nico yeah. Collins, we have Brandon Cooks, who's aging yeah. on an expensive deal. Maybe we save money with him uh, at some point. Jordan Addison comes in and gives him the the true separator that he needs. Like Will Levis is is an inconsistent thrower of the football down for down. So I'm gonna I'm gonna increase that margin of error by giving him easy throws and guys who are open. Yeah, Jordan Addison's the best route runner in this class, point blank. So when I when I did these receivers, Steve, I kind of like I've already scored a lot of them in the yeah. process as I'm writing up these prospect profiles. So I went straight down my board basically for the most part. The only exception is I did I think I put Hyatt in before Jackson Smith Najigba. Um, I think Hyatt went 22, right? Yes, you have yeah, yeah, yeah Hyatt, Hyatt 22, 22 and then the you had uh, Smith and Jigba going at 23 the, the right next after. Pick. Yep. So I went I went Hyatt to the chargers because they've needed that speed element for a long time. Yeah. I do have JSN like marginally. He scored marginally better for me. Um, I had, they both have first round grades, so there's no reach there for either guy in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so like Addison was far and away. He's going to be my, my top receiver score yeah. by a decent margin. 
Um, I, it was just it was a no brainer for me to support the the quarterback you just drafted with grabbing a receiver. It was either that or offensive line at twelve for me. So I did consider Dewan Jones there, but um, yeah. And then and then with the with the Hyatt pick, man, like we've been talking at nauseum for two years now that like Herbert needs an actual field stretcher. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's just an exhausted topic. It is. It is. And so I just did it. I just screw it. Like Mike (laughs) Williams is a good downfield receiver, but he's not, uh, he's not really a field stretcher. He's more of a contested catch guy. You're not, he's not a guy you're going to hit in stride running, you know, 22 miles an hour. Who's going to house the ball after he catches it. Right. He's normally going to catch it, get tackled. Hyatt's literally a guy. I mean, the stuff they'll be able to scheme up with him is pretty cool. And I, and Kellen Moore, his time in, in Dallas, he does have experience kind of mimicking some of those concepts you see, you saw at Tennessee with those bunches, like, cause the thing with yeah. Jalen Hyatt, and, and this is also the biggest reason for concern with Hyatt is he gets, he was the beneficiary of these really crazy alignments. Like Tennessee <laughs> would go, it's like ridiculous spread and tempo. Yeah. And they would hide Hyatt in these, you know, types of bunches where he was basically getting free releases. And when like imagine getting Tyreek Hill free releases on every snap. Well, I mean, Miami, <laughs> Miami does try to do that. So yeah. and you can see what happens. So uh that's you're trying to do this. I'm not comparing Hyatt and, and Hill by any means. Hyatt doesn't have anywhere close to the lateral agility as as Tyreek Hill. But as far as that pure speed threat goes, you get a guy with that level of speed in the middle of the field with no one around him because he got a free release, it's it's dangerous. Um, the, the Lions are going to try to do a lot of the similar things with uh, Jamison Williams next year. So I, I love this fit and it's, it's, you're finally getting a player in that offense to maximize Herbert's arm. And I, I hope they can find a way to keep Keenan Allen. Cause I think Keenan Allen, Jalen Hyatt and, and Mike Williams would just be fun, dude. And it like, just, that is a legit trio. And just think how much like, just having the vertical threat changes how safeties play against yep. the chargers. I mean, they like safeties are able to sit so much harder on those outside receivers, knowing that there isn't that yeah, in an imminent threat coming from the slot. Like it's a lot of those safe, like, yeah, a lot of safeties. They understand that, Hey, I don't have a huge threat coming from the slot. If I have to bail, I can run with them anyway. It's fine. Yeah. Like I like, he likes, he wants these guys outside most of the time. I'm going to sit my focus there. If I see someone screaming at me, I can keep up with them. And right. that's where Jalen Hyatt changes the complexion of how defenses play against Justin Herbert. All the receivers are short to maybe Keenan Allen's an intermediate threat. Like literally all of them. Yeah. Josh Palmer is, he's okay at what he does, but he's not winning deep balls. He's not, he's not beating corners deep. Uh, Keenan's definitely not at this point of his career. Quincy Carter was the other one, right? DeAndre Carter. DeAndre, why did I say Quincy? I don't know. What? That's weird. <laughs> DeAndre a, Carter is the other one. Like this is a short Cowboys, right? So you know, point being, like they they just desperately needed this element to their game, and now that Lombardi's gone, Captain Checkdown here. Uh, yeah, I think sticks. This is, is going to be. McGee. Yeah, I think this is going to be dynamite. I did consider. Um, going uh michael maher here because okay maher like just you know especially if they do lose keenan allen maher will probably be in consideration because they need someone to kind of you know own the short short parts of the field and, and yeah. control the middle a little bit so um but 
ultimately I went high. The next pick, Steve, I went Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yep. In this scenario, I'm the Ravens. I'm re-signing Lamar, and I'm not messing around with that. And then I'm fine. Like, how many times have I complained on this podcast that they don't support Lamar properly? They traded his favorite target in Marquise Brown. So, like, we're we're redoing that, and we're getting, you know, a legitimate slot guy who can separate at will on those short intermediate routes. He's going to control the middle of the field for you Yeah, with Mark Andrews. And you're going to give Lamar a lot of easy throws. And that's what he doesn't have right now. There's no, nobody on this offense makes it easy for him. No. Uh, Cause ba- Bateman's a big play guy, but you're either having to scheme him up stuff short, uh, you know, screens and stuff like that, or deep balls. You know, he's working on that intermediate part of his game where so like, it's just a really good compliment to each other. And I, I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba would be awesome with Lamar, just giving Lamar that, that kind of security blanket, but he's going to be a chain mover for them. Like I, I think this is a really nice fit. You're, you're basically putting Amon Ross St. Brown on the Baltimore Ravens. I was, I was yeah. going to ask you if it, like how that comparison works and in, in, in a way, just cause you're right. Smith and Jigba is similar in that where it's the, he can win in small, he can win in a one by one box. He can win yep. a route and get open, and that's that create that'll create open to the f- middle of the field, open opportunities, intermediate for Bateman, which is kind of where you want to see him because I think like in breaking middle of the field, ten to fifteen yards, that could be Bateman's sweet spot. Yeah, so right now the whole middle of the field just gets mucked up because it's guys spying and guys, you know, just like not a lot of threats outside of you know Bateman and Andrews and Bateman got hurt later in the year. Yes, and we saw what happened there. But real quick, too, like there's a like for whatever reason, JSM truthers, when you throw that Amon Ross St. Brown comp out there, they get super offended by that. That's a massive compliment. I think Amon Ross is a, a hell of a player. And I'm not saying JSN can only be a slot guy. I think right. he can win on the outside occasionally. I think you can get creative with the formations you use him in, just like the Lions do with St. Brown, just like the Rams do with Cooper Cup, just like Keenan Allen's done for the last decade. That's the type of player you're getting. You're, if you think you're getting a an outside threat who's going to win vertically on a, on a lot of routes, you're just not. That's not who JSN is, and that's okay. Like he's still going to be a tremendous player. I so. mean, it's like having a bona fide chain mover on your offense is necessary now. Like you like yep. that's so helpful for quarterbacks' development. Quarterbacks in yep. general is just having that guy who they know they can go to. I mean. If in that from that vein, like Amon Ross St. Brown, I think like has helped uh Jared Goff develop in great lengths, having knowing that yes. he has that security blanket there. And that's you know it helped it, rebuild Goff's confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, I think that that's a big thing that they need to work on is developing if they keep Lamar Jackson, is developing that passing game. It's something that's just kind of stalled out because they don't put a lot of focus there. So exactly. Did you want to hit the other two receivers real quick? Yes. Yes. So you had you have Smith and Jigba, 23. And then you go 26 in New York Giants, Zay Flowers, who I think is starting to leap up boards in general as well. Yeah. I don't know why he's leaping up boards. I, I, I agree that that's, that's true. I think he is. I don't know why. I think people just didn't watch him or something. I mean, the minute I watched this guy, I fell in love with him. Yeah. It's, Boston College hasn't been like, has barely been on the map yeah. for a few years. Unfortunately, they get kind of run through a little bit. But he, I, from the little bit of tape I've watched, he's 
he's going to be an asset in an offense. He's quick twitch, speedy guy, wins downfield. And again, I think the Giants are another team that need a guy like that. Yeah, he, there's a like he's a smaller guy. There's a lot of similarities between him and Stefan Diggs. And I hate doing the one-to-ones like, oh, Dable had Diggs, so he's going to want a guy like that. <laughs> it just kind of worked out that way with my board. I was probably going receiver for them no matter what. Yeah. Flowers happen to be the perfect pick, but like this is another pure separator, lightning in a bottle type guy. I mean, I I love everything about his game. Um, can play in the slot, but he has enough speed to stack DBs and get vertical on the outside despite his smaller stature. Yeah. I do think he's a threat out there. Um, this is a home run for me for for the Giants. Yeah, a team that is in the an interesting spot. You know, picking at twenty six is not where anyone had them slated, and they <laughs> true. <laughs> they have a lot of they have some interesting things to figure out with their roster overall. But again, a receiver was an area that all year we were talking about that they just didn't really have a guy. It was a yeah. lot of piecework. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins was the, was their number one receiver at the end of the year. Like him and Darius and Slate was, were swapping on and off, and he was barely hanging on to an NFL roster at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he was on the Bills, actually. wonder if they'd like that, have a mulligan <laughs> on that. But, yeah, I mean, even, even as the number one guy, I think he still only had like a 17% target share, Hodgins. Yeah. And so, so like, I mean, they desperately need a guy and – they're getting that. Um, I considered Quentin Johnson here, by the way. I just don't think Johnson has near the refined skill set that Dable's going to want in his number one. He'd be more of like a Gabe Davis in that offense, which gotcha. is maybe they maybe they end up doing that. I don't know. But uh, just for me, I prefer the consistency of, of a Zay Flower. When you have nobody, you need a consistent route runner. You need a guy that you know that can get can get open at will, can make those big plays. The only thing that I do have questions about is like, how does Zay and Wandell fit together? Yeah. Cause you're going to get, it's kind of like the Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson crisis in New York where it's like, there's, there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Uh, I think Zay's a better player. He scored at a better, as a better player than me than Wandell, but there is some overlap there and I don't think Wandell's bad. So it's like, how, how do they rectify that and figure out how to get both those guys in the field? That was the only hang up I had with that pick, but ultimately I went Zay. Yeah. And then, lastly, you mentioned him, but uh, Quentin Johnson ends up with the Kansas City Chip Chiefs for you. It is Johnston, by Johnston, the way. Johnston, sorry. I, Johnston. I see people mess us up all day, every day. I just did it two minutes ago. So, um, yeah, I went Quentin Johnson to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, this was tough because <clears throat> Johnson's technically not likely to have a first-round grade for me, mm-hmm. but – I don't have 32 first round grades. So at some point you are picking guys that don't have first round grades in the first yeah. round. Yeah. It's just the way it goes. That's the, that's the, the bad part about picking at the end of the first. Um, I just felt like <clears throat> this was a slam dunk for them. They didn't have a field stretcher last year. Like ideally if they could get Wyatt or sorry, Hyatt here, that'd be great. I just yep. had him going earlier. Johnson's going to be a great downfield threat though. I mean, he is freaking fast. Um, he's big. He's long. He's like he's got some MVS to him actually, and that he's you know he's he's traits wise very similar. Yeah, um, you can also scheme up some stuff to him in the short game. So they just, they I wanted a home run hitter for them, you know, a guy who can hit the home run, who can stretch the field, and ultimately who will be good ad libbing with Mahomes. So it's really what the, like 
Mahomes does so much damage when he's you know breaking the play down and creating out of structure and and Johnson Johnston's going to fit that really well for them. He is going to have to develop though because he's not a very precise route runner at the moment. Yeah, doesn't really do many wide receiver things. He's actually kind of like Traylon Burks for me. I you um, know I was going to ask because like watching a little bit of TCU tape, not a very advanced route tree at all. Not at all. It was just like, hey, we you're bigger, taller, faster than most of the guys that are covering you, so just go win. Yeah, go go hit screen, occasional slant. Yep. That's basically it. Oh, sometimes they'll do the deep crossers too and just have Doug and hold the ball for nine minutes and then throw it when the guy's wide open. But the difference being that Johnson has the upper tier athleticism that Traylon Burks did not have. Yeah. Yeah, and uh Johnson, I think I was texting uh, Debro, Derek Brown, the other day. He was asking me my thoughts on Johnston, and I, I said he's who everyone thought Traylon was last year. Um, so, I, yeah, th- this is a good pick. I, ironically, a lot of people were mocking Traylon to the Chiefs last year. So Yeah, you're right. This, uh, this is kind of a interesting fit. I, I don't know. I wonder if we're getting to a point in Mahomes' career where he's going to start favoring guys that are really disciplined in their their technique and their assignments. Yeah. I think it makes me wonder if that's why Sky didn't get on the field much this year because he just wasn't there yet with his refinement. Yeah. Because um, as quarterbacks age, they do get bougie, right? Like Aaron Rodgers hates guys that don't know where they're supposed to be. Oh, we hear it all the time. Right? Yeah, we hear it all the time. Like, hear, Watson hear... didn't get on the field until like week seven because right. – I mean, you heard about it with Brady too. Like that was always yeah. the thing we talked about with Brady is like, oh, Brady likes him. He may not be that good, but Brady likes him because he's always in the same spot. Or Brady he's always in, he's, like, he's supposed to be where he's supposed to be. Yeah, like I remember, like some of the guys that were going through, and it's like, well, he'll last here a week. You know, he may, yeah, yep. sure, he had a hundred yards, but he missed his spot like six times, so he's probably out next week. And, yeah, not to take a victory lap, by the way, but the year they drafted Nikhil Harry in New England, yeah. I actually called Scott Barrett on the phone, who was not my coworker at the time. I'm a, I was at joint practice between the Lions and the Patriots. So this is training camp. And I yeah. called him and said, Jacoby Myers is going to be an ins- like exponentially more productive player than Nikhil Harry. And he was like flabbergasted. Because at the time, Nikhil was like the, the rookie one zero one in right. Dynasty. Right. And he's like, there's no way. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not kidding. Brady loves this guy, and he is literally where he's supposed to be on every single play. He already knows the playbook perfectly. Like, he will be a starter by the end of the year. And, of course, that's what's basically happened, and Jacoby's about to get paid this offseason. So, yeah. good for him. And Mahomes is leaning that way, too. That's why do you think he yeah. leans on Kelsey so hard? Because Kelsey yeah. is one of the best at getting to his spot and establishing his spot. So, yep. it makes sense. And they have that chemistry so yeah, so a little bit of a, a risk here, kind of a flyer with Quinton Johnston to the Chiefs, but I I do like the fit, and I think that could end up being great for them down the road. Yeah. So. And then last thing that I think was interesting is just, and I think is interesting in general, is that this is a pretty strong defensive backfield class. You've got some strong corners that have different strengths. Yes. And you had um, falling... I've see you see Devin Witherspoon to the Lions. I feel like every once in a while, I know you're big on him. I've seen a couple other people who are who really like him. Why? 
does Devin, why Devin Witherspoon over a, you know, waiting to grab Joey Porter or going, you know, like you had said in your mock that you almost went Christian Gonzalez. What pushes Witherspoon to be like the guy that you would go with to the lions as opposed to the other guys? Well, first and foremost, if, if I had a crystal ball and I could look in it and say for sure that Joey Porter Jr. would be there at 18. Yeah. Maybe I do consider waiting. Fair. (laughs) Cause I like, maybe that's better value. They're similar in a lot of ways actually, but I went Witherspoon over like a Christian Gonzalez because Witherspoon is a perfect scheme fit for the lions. Um, not many college football teams play more man coverage than Illinois does. Not many college football teams play press more than Illinois does. Witherspoon is a freaking bully. He's a monster. He's going to get up in your face. He's going to press you. He's going to, he can play man. Um, he's got insanely fluid hips. So if he's playing trail coverage, like he, like the, very very sticky oh so sticky to the point where like the the one concern you have with witherspoon is like he might be a guy who draws those uh those james bradbury calls often yeah (laughs) so but uh scheme fit wise i think he's perfect for what the lines are looking to do they kind of changed last year to a more blitz heavy team um they were blitzing a lot they put their corners on an island and and you have to have the athleticism to run and get uh, get your hands on the ball. Witherspoon is long with tremendous ball skills. I just think that like he, like Aaron Glenn's gonna love this guy. Um, and they just drafted Kirby Joseph last year. From uh, the yeah, same I was just about secondary. to say pulling from a similar scheme, Kirby Joseph yeah. into the field. I mean, hey, that's there's something to be if said they wanted about to, familiarity with the defensive backfield, yeah. and communication, things like that. One, a lot of it is the scheme. Like the the scheme resembles what the Lions do. If they wanted to double down and go like Sidney Brown in the second round and just build an entire Illinois secondary, I'd be fine with that, you know? But no, honestly, I mean, that's the thing. That's the difference between Witherspoon and Gonzalez. I mean, Gonzalez was so off heavy. He did play, he did play man in, in some press and he is a freak athlete, Yeah. but they, you know, they play a lot of quarters and a lot of cover three. Like he's, he's playing with his butt to the sideline and, and playing more of a mirror match role than the straight man coverage. And, um, also, like Gonzalez's lack of ball production scares me. Interesting. And I know this is a, that's super hot takey. I still have a really strong grade on him. Um, I think he. I haven't done everybody yet. Obviously, I think he probably finishes as a top ten guy for me in this class. But that lack of ball production is scary because of the type of coverages Oregon plays. Right. Like he is in a read and react role where he has the opportunity to click and close and explode on the ball and use that athleticism. And uh, I got news for you guys: there wasn't a whole lot of ball production and. That's super interesting. Now, granted, he would shut guys down sometimes too, right? Just like they wouldn't get targeted when he was, you know, covering them. But um, that's the big difference maker for me with him and Witherspoon because I think Gonzalez can learn press man easily. Um, it's more just Witherspoon's length and ball skills are just unparalleled in this class. So yeah, which you have, yeah, Witherspoon at six, and then you we go through a run of some tackles, wide receivers, a couple edges, but then. That's where it's uh, 14, the Patriots go Joey Porter Jr., which I think makes a lot of sense. Very long, athletic, sticky corner. Yep. Fits fits the New England Belichick mold of a cornerback. Yeah, exactly. And what this iteration of the new England defense is asking out of their cornerbacks is actually very similar to what Detroit's asking out of theirs. Yes. So 
uh, Porter's a great fit in Detroit as well, but um, it, as would Witherspoon be in New England. So this is just like, hey, Witherspoon's gone. This is the next best guy for us. Yeah. The the AFC East, and I note this in the article, is so wide receiver rich. Yeah. Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and I'm forgetting the other team. Oh, Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore. Like you need good cornerback play to get by in this division. Yeah. They might be losing Jonathan Jones, but even if they don't, I they really need to upgrade that position. Yeah. So um, yeah. Jack Jones was exciting last year, but not because of his defense, mostly because of a, as a return guy. I do <laughs> right. think he he's developing nicely. He'll probably be in the slot for them this coming season full time, but we shall see. But they need a number one. And Joey they need Porter, a number one. Jo- Joey Porter brings that in. I mean, you've seen over the years when Belichick's offense or sorry, when Belichick's defense is at its best, it's when he has a shutdown corner. At his mm-hmm. number one corner spot, that's when their defenses excel the best because it gives it gives Belichick so much versatility to move around the back end and play with it, play with his safeties, his safeties who are very athletic and can move around. Having that number one corner kind of allows him to focus on the rest of the field and just do away with him, and it allows him to be a little bit, uh, allows him to move move guys around and make plays with them. So, yep, it, it makes a lot of sense and. You know, if they did bring Jonathan Jones back, that'd be quite the tandem they could have there because Jones at a number two is very valuable. Jones at a number one is we need a little bit of help here. Yeah. And then you have 16 Gonzalez going to the commanders, which, you know, in here is a perfect scenario. They need it. They need it. They um, obviously let go of William Jackson, the third midseason or they traded him and have they have an open spot at the other corner spot yeah they they just have no real even developmental prospects here i know they have saint juice but i'm not like sold on him being a guy um they're just really getting a blue chip prospect at a position of need like that's that's like draft heaven right so um i know ron rivera wants to be a guy whose defense wins with four too, rushing the passer. Yep. They want to get to the with four, which means you're, you're able to play a, a variety of coverages. Some of that off zone that Gonzalez, I think is really going to be good at. Uh, that's, that's where, you know, they might thrive there. So. And then just t- touch on Deontay Banks and yeah. Emmanuel Forbes, your two other guys, Banks going to, the Buccaneers at 19 and Forbes going to the Eagles at 31, which we just talked about the, the Eagles and possibly losing Bradbury. So that makes sense. But why, why banks that, why banks up in the first round, why Forbes up in the, up, up to the Eagles, as opposed to potentially going other, other spots for those teams. So as far as Tampa goes, Deontay banks is, this is another perfect scheme fit. Like Todd Bowles is blitz crazy. He, he loves corners that can come up and get hands on you at the line of scrimmage and press and be sound and press technique and p- basically play bully ball. And that's exactly how I describe Deontay Banks's game. He's a bully at the line of scrimmage. There are multiple reps, Steve, like we do separation charting where yeah. he's actually knocking his receiver down. <laughs> It's almost like he's an offensive lineman blocking him at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> now that's a little overzealous. You know, you don't necessarily want your your corner lunging at receivers. Yes. But the fact that he has the power and the tenacity and that attitude of like 
mother effer, you are not getting off the line of scrimmage. I right. am baptizing you right now and just drop and just dropping a guy like that is like that's exactly what Todd Bowles is looking for. And they're they might lose Jamel Dean. Um, they might lose Sean Murphy Bunting. Either way, I think Banks is a, is a good fit for them. Which is funny because um, that's similar to how like Jamel Dean was very physical in that way too, and Murphy Bunting yep. also like both very physical corners that were able to win at the at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. And that's I mean that's why yep. the Bucks were what they were on defense for a while was because they had those guys who were able to shut down guys for a minute. And like you said, it fills that fills that role, steps in, and really doesn't change a lot as far as how they play. Yeah. Yeah, and for the Eagles, so I kind of knew going into this mock draft, like, you know, as we talked uh, in our Eagles recap, like, they do have a lot of decisions to make. They have Bradbury as a free agent. They've got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson as a free agent. They have um, an aging Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham they got to make decisions on. Like, there's a lot there. So my whole – my goal was, like, continuity. How do we – how do we get cheaper and younger at some of these positions? So I considered Christian Gonzalez at 10 for the Eagles. And actually I originally wrote that up and then was like, you know, Tyree Wilson is sitting there like, you know, as a guy who can, you know, play with power from the edge, which we know Roseman does like sometimes that yep. speed to power, you know, he's got some Brandon Graham in him. He can also kick inside on, on third downs and play next to Jordan Davis and in that Javon Hargrave role, who they're probably also losing. So I went with Tyree Wilson at 10, which means I knew at like 32, I was probably going to go corner or 31, probably going to go corner depending on how the board shook out. And it shook out perfectly for me. Um, now, Emmanuel Forbes is not a guy with the, fir- he does not have a first round grade for me. Um, as I've already discovered though, you are going to have to take guys in the first round that don't have first round grades. And yep. Forbes is one of them. Uh, this was, <laughs> it seems like with this, with this corner class, there's like a lot of perfect scheme fits and Forbes is perfect for what the Eagles do. Yeah. He has a lot of James Bradbury to his game, a lot of Darius Slade to his game. And I know it's the same school comp, so I don't want to go with that, but man, he he's so good in, in those off coverages. That's what Forbes really thrives in. The second you ask him to come play like press man is when he starts really getting beat up. Um, and he like the tape is really, really good when he's playing off coverage. Um, so I, I like the fit just re- as a one-to-one replacement for Bradbury. Awesome. And then the last thing that I want to touch on, we'll, we'll dive more into prospects, and I feel like we'll yeah. do prospect rankings. We'll do other mock drafts. We'll have fun with it this offseason. But I think it is a big topic. It's a big topic given the prospect that's there. And you have a hard stance. I am similar running backs. Oh, it's Bijan, isn't it? don't matter. But (laughs) Bijan is, you know, he's one of the elite prospects that comes in every once in a while. We've been talking about, I mean, you've heard about him since he was a senior in high school. The moment he set foot to Texas, he was talked about being the next great Texas running back. Where's the value with Bijan? Is he worth a first-round pick? Is he that what what we're all what a lot of fantasy folks and just regular football folks are building up to be? Is he worth it? Yeah, so he is. He this was he was one of the hardest guys to slot here because I do have a like a real heavy value for positional value. Yes, which a real heavy preference towards positional value. Which for the listeners in your mock draft, you have Bijan Robinson going twenty nine to the Bengals. Just for yep. re- just for reference for everyone, and he's the only running back in the first round. So yeah, only running back in the first round. 
he's an elite talent for me. He's going to be a top 10 or 15 guy for me in this draft class. I just couldn't find a reasonable spot to put him before this. The only really spot I, I considered him heavily other than 29 was at 18 to Detroit. Yeah. Which, you know, um, I took, I, yeah, I took a hard look there. Um, maybe you could make the argument. Both more will be interested because they value the run game that much. Um, I hope they go oh. receiver, but we'll see. So yeah, I, I went Bijan at 29 mostly because like Joe Mixon is a contract they can escape and they can save some money. And we know the Bengals have been pretty savvy with the way they use their cap. And I think it makes sense. And uh, Mixon's get a little older. It makes sense. If you watched the rotation of their running backs toward the end of the yeah. year, P Ryan got a lot more looks in the playoffs and end of the season. I mean, he's near a 50, 50 split for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and he was, I mean, he was the main third down back. Yeah. You, you can't pay a running back over 10 million a year to be a, in a 50, 50 split. Exactly. So. Um, but just Bijan himself, the player, like this guy is phenomenal. He's probably, um, I haven't compared him to other scores, but I know he's close to where I had Christian McCaffrey. He's close to where I had Ezekiel Elliott in the last decade. So you're talking about a generational guy to me. Right. Um, I mean, dude, my list of weaknesses for this guy, I had to like invent them to like there, write a, I had to write a weakness section in his prospect profile. Yeah. I, like, I'll read them to you. This is what I got. Upright running style exposes legs to tacklers. Yeah, he's six foot one. That, that's every six foot running back has that problem. Yeah, he's a big dude. It's not necessarily <laughs> a weakness. You know, I just had to, I had to write something. Right. The other one was he, he loses anchor and pass pro, even when well positioned. And that's the thing. He's always in the right position, even in pass pro. Like his yeah. his pass pro IQ is extraordinarily high. Sometimes he just gets a little lackadaisical and he gets blown back a little bit. But like he's a running back. And he was blocking defensive ends and 320-pound defensive tackles on stunts. Like, yeah. yeah, he might not be able to set anchor against that guy, but I had to find something to write about. So his, his deficiencies are very, very little, and his, you know, what you're getting out of him is insane. Yes. Uh, this is a ridiculous prospect. Yeah, and he's been pretty much in a committee-type deal since he's been at Texas. Not a ton of wear and tear overall. He's <clears throat> held up health-wise. For, you know, like he's, I think he's pretty much been healthy this entire college career. He's maybe missed a game here or two, but you do. When you watch his tape, you can just see that he's a difference maker. You can like, it just pops off the screen right away in every aspect of the game, whether it's out of the backfield receiving, like you said, whether it's in pass bro and his, I mean, his one cut ability at the line of scrimmage is awesome to watch. So and what's crazy about that is like he can string the one cut. He can string like ten of them in a row. Yeah, he's a G. without losing speed. Yeah, it's, it's just, I don't even. He, he's, it's like he's playing hopscotch. He can just like bounce around, and then all yeah. of a sudden he's up the shoot, and he does. He that's you, that's the other thing is he has top end speed as well. You know what I likened it to? Like when he's in the open field too, I likened his movement skills to like. Have you seen uh, what's a good example? Have you seen The Last Kingdom, the TV show? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it though. I, I love making these comparisons, by the way. He's <laughs> off the wall. All right. Maybe. So you haven't seen that. What's a good, like, have you seen Braveheart? Yeah. So William Wallace. Yep. When he's in the battlefield and he's, he just like cuts down one guy, runs up to the next, cuts down the next one. That's what Bijan looks like. He literally looks like he's on a battlefield and he just runs up to a defender, makes a miss, runs up to the next guy, makes a miss, runs yeah. up to the next guy, runs right through him. Like it's like he's some freaking war hero on a battlefield, just chopping guys down 
at will. It, it's unbelievable. Like this guy's lateral ability for how big he is and, and how quickly he can string moves together. It's just, it, it really is mind blowing. Yeah. And there's upside um, there too. He can still develop a route tree to where like, that's, I yeah. think you, you know, you noted in his prospect profile that he didn't have a very advanced route tree, but like, well, like we said, he has the short area quickness where that it could be, that could be super easy to fill yeah. out for him. So what's funny is his last game at Texas, they've, they rarely used him like in special alignments as a receiver. Yeah. But his last couple of games at Texas, they, they all of a sudden started uh, like motioning him out to the slot. And letting him run a couple routes from there, and he he cut he catch the ball too. Uh, is is clearly like a, a Texas like they're kind of giving him an attaboy, you know, like hey, right. thanks for all your hard work. We're gonna put this on tape for you, right. so NFL guys can see this. Right, like, that's yeah. what it felt like, you know. We didn't give you this chance all the time, so here you go. Here's yeah. a couple for you. Yeah, and... yeah. Well, and we'll like I said, we'll dive into it later. The, I, yeah. I, I'm excited to dive into the running back class overall. I think it's a fun class with a lot of different guys who have who are all very versatile, and it's yeah. for a position that continually gets younger across the league this is a this is a class that seemingly i think could step in and make waves early on in in the nfl yep i agree you know what you didn't ask me about mock draft wise i can't believe what's that i have three tight ends going in the first round i want that was gonna be my next but we, uh, we're coming up on an hour 20 I so i was like ah, I i'll save the tight ends because i did notice that and just also how you kind of positioned them i think it will be Oh, because I had Kincaid over Maher. Kincaid over Maher. Maher yeah. you have, and then you also have Musgrave jumping up into the first, which, yep. again, I think people are starting to follow that after, you know, you had you, you had raved about him. A lot of people had raved, had raved about him at the Senior Bowl, and you're starting yep. to see that reflection in mock drafts and player rankings and things like that. Yep. So, but – we yeah, we'll, we'll do a whole we'll do a whole episode on the tight end class because there's a lot of them. Yeah, like I have Steve, I have more first and second round grades on tight ends this year than I have the last three classes combined. So yeah, wow. There's yes. some athletes. There's there are some athletes. It's a it's a fun draft class this year. Because I think there's yes. just a lot of it, it's not as it's, it's fun every year, Steve. It what is you, fun every year. <laughs> it just feels like that with like there's we don't have the consensus quarterback. We have like yeah. two consensus top two guys, but the odds that they even go at the top of the draft isn't even that high. Like right. it, it'll just it, it's it's going to be fun to watch it shake out because I think that there will be a lot of people that kind of get maybe get surprised by who their team ends up taking because there is so much of the middle class of the first round of talent this year, as opposed to yes. a clear defined top, you know, seven, eight guys, and then a little bit of a middle class. And then a lot of like low round one, round two, round three guys. So yep. I think that certain positions too, Steve, there's, there's position, like we already mentioned tight end, but receiver, like there's no real blue chip receivers in this draft. Like Addison's kind of in his own little tier, Yep. but then like, there's so many guys in the middle. It's really hard to separate these guys out. Like, yeah, I'm going to have a bunch of second and third round grades and not a lot of first round grades on receivers. And it's like, really at that point, you're just picking for preference, like culture fit, scheme fit, like stuff like that. You're not even going for just pure talent at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, 
we're in it now. The season's yep. over. Congratulations to the Chiefs and Chiefs fans. I hope you all yes. drink yourselves into oblivion on Tuesday at the parade. But um, and just know that you guys are officially the villains now. You know, you win one Super Bowl. That's just you know. Oh, that's a cute story. You win two. You're knocking on the door of a dynasty, which clearly the Chiefs are now. Just like Brady was the villain for so long, I think the Chiefs are officially the villain of the NFL. Yeah, yeah, it was always. Even te- though we all love Mahomes, it was teetering with the conference championships, but this probably pushed it over the edge. Yes, yes, yep. People will be sick of you guys in no time. So. <laughs> but all right, Steve, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Um, we'll we'll be ramping up the the draft talk, as you know. Also. Keep your ears open for that data tool to drop because that's going to be sick. So, all right. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a great season. And now we are in my favorite part of the year, which is draft draft season. So uh, I'm your host, Brett Whitefield. This is my co-host, Stephen O'Rourke, and we are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.